This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Before we get started with today's episode of For Real, we wanted to let you know that if you're interested in trying audiobooks or have been eyeing an Audible membership, you can get two free audiobooks when you sign up for a free trial at bookriot.com audible. Most free trial offers for Audible only give you one download with your 30-day trial, but we are giving you two. Audiobooks are a great way to work more reading into your life, whether it's during your commute, while you're cooking, while you're at the gym, or whatever. So go to bookriot.com audible to sign up for your free trial and get two free audiobooks. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly nonfiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is, or try to. We'll cover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a Book Riot podcast and is hosted by me, Alice Burton, and fellow rioter Kim Ukara. We're recording on Friday, February 15th. Hello, Kim. Hello, Alice. How are you? Um, I'm pretty good. I just got back from uh, Washington, D.C., which was very exciting um, because I have not been there since I was like, you know, 12 or something. But um, I got to see the Library of Congress was amazing. I am so deeply jealous that you got to see the Library of Congress. Like, oh my gosh, it looked beautiful. I did like the Lazy Man's tour where I like basically walked in. I was in there for like half an hour. I like walked in, looked up at the ceiling, was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing and beautiful. You know, like put it on social media. And then uh, I, you know, the whole like all the president's men uh, scene where that famous shot where it like goes up from the floor of the library of congress and it like keeps like pulling mm-hmm. back so i wanted to like go on the floor but then you have to do some like sign up for a reader's card or something and i uh, again was doing the whole like lazy way out so they let you go up some stairs and then you get to go to like this little observation deck and like look at people who are you know the next woodward and bernstein or whatever uh being on the floor there so that was really cool and then i bought some stuff in the gift shop that sounds like a perfect way to visit the library of congress nice um that's cool very very cool um so i have i have one piece of follow-up kind of follow-up kind of news um and it is related to john carriel's bad blood which is a book that i am extremely obsessed with um and it's actually they um and also has to do with podcasts because we talked about podcasts in the last episode so um there is a podcast that is out they've published a few episodes called the dropout from abc radio which is all about theranos and elizabeth holmes and that whole scandal and everything that's happened um and the podcast is hosted by rebecca jarvis who is the abc news chief business technology and economics correspondent um and i think they're going to put out I want to say it was like six episodes. And then there's also a documentary that ABC is doing related to it. Um, so I listened to part of the first episode so far. I'm actually I'm more audio booking now than podcasting. Um, and it was, it was really interesting because they actually have some of the deposition tape of Elizabeth Holmes at one of the court proceedings. And it's uh, in the book, he talks about how she has like a deep voice and how she may like artificially lower it to sound, you know, more I don't know, older. Um, and so it's really interesting to hear her hear her in the podcast like that. So, um, I think it's going to be interesting. I'm kind of excited to binge it when it's all out after I have, um, 
uh, after I, I've switched audio or finished the audiobook I'm listening to right now. So, uh, yeah, if you're interested in that story, the dropout from ABC Radio might be a podcast you are interested in. I think I've listened to three or four episodes of it. Like what I think I've just haven't caught up on the most recent one, but yeah, it's so good. And the voice thing is, is weird. And I'm kind of like, okay, but what if it is her real voice? But then enough people have been Mm -hmm. like, I heard her when she didn't have that voice that I don't know. It seems a little like not real. Uh, The number of people who compare her to Bernie Madoff is like crazy in terms of her like, you know, Mm -hmm. like charisma, but then also being like incredibly deceptive uh, and Mm -hmm. stealing all these people's money. They also interview Sunny Balwani like that, her the guy she was like in a relationship. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, it made me want to reread Bad Blood. So uh, read Bad Blood and also listen to the dropout. Um, <laughs> okay, so our first uh, sponsor of the episode is the Night Tiger from Flatiron Books. The Night Tiger pulls readers into a world of servants and masters, age old superstition and modern idealism, sibling rivalry and forbidden love. That's a good list. Jilin is a dance hall girl to help pay off her mother's mahjong debts, but when one of her dance partners accidentally leaves behind a gruesome souvenir, she may finally get the adventure she's been longing for. 11-year-old houseboy Ren is also on a mission to fulfill his former master's dying wish that Ren find the man's finger lost years ago and bury it with his body. Jilin... Sorry, I'm really enjoying this book's description. Jilin and Ren's dangerous paths crisscross in this dazzling novel. Booklist calls The Night Tiger a work of incredible beauty, astoundingly captivating and striking, a transcendent story of courage and connection. Uh, The Night Tiger goes on sale February 12th, so it is available now. And uh, thank you, Flatiron Books, for sponsoring. Sounds so good. There's lots of good descriptive stuff in that. Awesome. So uh, now we are going to jump into our usual first segment every week, which is new books, uh, books that are coming out or out recently that we are excited to read or have started or something like that. So our our whole like script is in the wrong order because I messed everything up. So I'm just going to go first and we'll kind of we'll figure it out from there. So um, the first book that I want to talk about is one that came out this week that I it's it's really incredible. Um, Parkland by Dave Cullen. Uh, And so this this is um, the story of the uh, February 14th, 2018 shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. Um, Dave Cullen, you probably recognize his name. He also wrote Columbine, which is a, sort of the definitive book about the Columbine High School shooting, um, and which that is just an incredible piece of work work and journalism. Um, and so Parkland, he opens it by kind of framing it in the context of Columbine, that since Columbine, he had sort of become this the guy that news TV news stations call when there's a school shooting because he is the guy who covered Columbine. I mean, many people did, but his book is kind of a definitive take on that. Um, and so he talks about hearing about Parkland and um, kind of what his response was. And then the slow feeling that like, maybe this, this time is different, like something different is going to happen. Um, and so then Parkland, the book is about sort of everything that has happened after the shooting. So, uh, it's really interesting. He goes into very little detail about what happened at the school that day. Um, he deliberately doesn't even use the killer's name throughout the entire book. Um, and instead he really focuses on the student activists that were, um, terrorized that day, but then also galvanized into action. Um, 
So it's uh, just a super interesting, like as a piece of journalism and as a story storytelling, it's really great. But I've, I've enjoyed comparing it to Columbine and kind of what we know about that school shooting versus what we know about Parkland and what has happened since. So um, there's a lot in it reflecting how our response to school shootings has changed and um, how Parkland maybe is the galvanizing point to really change that era to something new and positive and different. So um, I'm probably halfway through it right now, and I've been reading it a little bit every day. It's really, really good. He's a great journalist and got a lot of access to the students and really is writing very empathetically about them and what they're trying to accomplish. So um, it's a great book. So uh, that is Parkland by Dave Cullen. Did that shooting only happen a year ago? Yeah. Uh-huh. That is insane. Uh, that feels so incredibly long ago at this point. Um, yeah, I, know, right? I was, I was uh, you know, talking to you a little bit before the podcast, but about how I can't I just found out that this book was coming out, which I was shocked by because, um, well, first of all, it's it's such a short amount of time, again, since the shooting. Yeah. Um, and I think he spent, what, like 10 years writing Columbine? It was some, like, mm-hmm. very, very long uh, period of time. But as you were saying, he's not here talking about, like, the intricacies of, like, what led to the thing because he's not focusing on the shooter. He's focusing on the Parkland students, which is awesome. Um I'm really looking forward to reading that because, again, Columbine, the book, was uh, fantastic. Okay. Mm. So um, on a slightly more sort of lighter note, although that book is supposed to be uplifting, uh, my first pick is uh, The Good Immigrant, 26 Writers Reflect on America, edited by Nikesh Shukla and Shimen Suleiman. Uh, This is out February 19th from Little Brown. I was reading this. uh, This is a collection of essays by immigrants to America who are kind of trying to reconcile their homeland and, you know, you know, America and where they fall as immigrants and this whole idea of like, uh, the reason they're calling it the good immigrant is because there are so many connotations with like bad immigrants. So it's kind of this purposeful, right? Like talking about, um, where that distinction is or like where, uh, why we should assume more like towards the good and like, or what, you have to do as an immigrant to be perceived in a positive light, which is basically right to go like incredibly above and beyond um, what average citizens are expected. of. So what this is, is talking about like Trump's um, border wall, which I was reading this again, I was reading at the airport yesterday as they were talking about the um, probable declaration of um, an emergency or state of emergency or whatever in the country um, in order to build this wall. And I'm like reading these people talking about coming to America from these, you know, like horrific situations. And I was just like, oh my gosh. But Anyway, so I'm um, talking about the uh, the travel ban, which, of course, um, resulted in uh, nationwide airport protests to the marching of white supremacists in Charlottesville. Um, America is consumed by tensions over immigration and the question of which bodies are welcome. So they originally had a UK edition, which uh, I believe came out right before Brexit was happening, um, which, of course, was uh an interesting timing. But so that book was so sort of generally acclaimed. And then they saw the, the authors are British, I believe um, the editors, sorry, but they saw the sort of like similar problem in the U S right. This like rise of 
white. Uh, I actually was just in one of the books I'm wrecking today. They were saying we shouldn't call it white supremacy. We should call it white insanity. And um, so sort of the rise of this and uh, talking about. Um, so there's, it's this range of writers whose uh, humanity and right to be here is under attack. And they're just pers- like definite own perspectives. I'm sorry that I'm a little bit rambly with this, but it really it feels like so much to sort of encapsulate. And it's such a stirring book that um, I think is really important to read. So again, that is The Good Immigrant, 26 Writers Reflect on America, uh, edited by Nikesh Shukla and Shimen Suleiman. Excellent. That sounds super good. Um, I also have a collection of essays to talk about, although this is by one person rather than a a group of people. And it's called Brown, White, Black, An American Family at the Intersection of Race, Gender, Sexuality, and Religion by Nisha J. Mira. Um, And so this is a collection of essays, personal essays on motherhood, marriage, love, and acceptance from a family that um, the book describes as having to push against America's rigid ideas of race, gender, and sexuality. Um, So the author, she is the daughter of Indian immigrants. she is a lesbian. Uh, she has a wife who is white, and they have adopted a son, and I'm Shiv, who is black. And so they have this very mixed family. And so the essays are a lot about what that has meant for them. Um, so she talks about growing up as a queer person in Memphis, um, uh, a a queer person in Memphis, but also a person of color in Memphis, which is a pretty racially polarized city. Um, in the essay that I read, she talks about being Indian. It's sort of confusing, like what community she even fits in because she's not white and she's not black. Um, but she, there isn't really an Indian community in Memphis. And so trying to find kind of her space in that that community. Um, she talks about being an adoptive mother, um, some of the like assumptions that people make about her and her wife and their child and their family when they're out in public, you know, that someone is a nanny or that they just all of these weird assumptions people make looking at their family and not being able to figure it out. Um, and then like the, the rude and terrible ways people like try to ask those questions. Um, and yeah, I've just been finding it very, uh, very interesting. Like she um, is writing about a lot of stuff that is interesting to me, motherhood and family and all of that, um, but definitely has a different perspective on it than I do, obviously. So um, I've been just like enjoying the essays kind of one at a time. They're kind of building an interesting argument just about family as family and we should all <laughs> deal with ourselves a little better. Um, so yeah, I've been really enjoying it. So that's Brown, White, Black by Nisha Mera. I just love essay collections. <laughs> they're uh, mm-hmm. they're just really great in terms of like sort of like a bite sized quality. Um, so you feel like you've really accomplished something, and then also learned something and all this. Anyway, um, my other pick uh, for this week. Oh, I think I actually have. No, I have two. Great. My other pick for this week is Wayward Lives, Beautiful Experiments, uh, Intimate Histories of Social Upheaval by Saidia Hartman. It, again, came out February 19th, so out, I believe, the day this podcast drops, um, from W.W. Norton. This book, I encourage you to look it up because the cover is striking. This image of this young Black woman from, I believe, the 1920s um, is just, it's beautiful. I love looking at this book. And um, the whole sort of purpose behind it is um, Professor uh, Hartman right, recreates the experience of these young urban Black women um, at the turn of the century in, I believe, Philadelphia and New York. So these are women, the reason it's called Wayward Lives, Beautiful Experiments is that these are 
women who were, you know, arrested and um, sort of lived on the margins uh, because they weren't, you know, doing the sort of like what society told them to do behavior. And Sadia Hartman basically says that there's this beauty in this and them trying to live these lives that they were fashioning. And the way that she writes it, is both a history, but it's also a very sort of literary style. And it, it really is beautiful. I am enjoying it so much. She also features photographs from the time and kind of like talks about, you know, either if she doesn't, if she couldn't identify the women, she talks about, you know, like what her life would have been like, you know, judging by sort of like these, um, the lives around her. And then um, it's just, I'm just looking at it right now. And it's just like, oh, you're such a good book. Anyway, again, look it up. It is Wayward Lives, Beautiful Experiments by Saidia Hartman. Yeah, I'll second. The cover of that is just like, it's just gorgeous. Like when you look at it, you just have to stop and look again because it's so pretty. Um, and just, yeah, that sounds really good. I'm glad, I, I'm glad you are enjoying it. Um, so I have one more book that I wanted to talk about real quick. And the, the title is Sounds Like Titanic, a memoir by Jessica Chachas. Chikalito Hindman. Um, and this is a sort of con man story, uh, but like very different. Um, and so, uh, the author, she is a young violinist and she is from, she's from Appalachia and she goes to New York to go to college and she thinks she's going to study music, but it turns out she's actually not, not good enough at music to really like really do that. So she's, um, think she's going to do something else. And then she gets a job performing with this very small ensemble in New York city. Um, and she thinks that like, yes, I, I'm, I maybe have made it. Um, but it actually it turns out this gig is completely a sham. Um, and so the group, instead of playing when they go places to do these concerts, they just, uh, stand and pretend that they're playing their instruments or they play their instruments really quietly to turn off microphones. And then they just play a recorded CD of the piece. And, uh, so they're not actually playing anything. They're just standing up there pretending to play while a CD goes, uh, because this is what the person who um, has organized the group, who she calls the composer, uh, wants them to do. And so she, the one thread of the book is sort of what it is like to be in this sham group that eventually like, goes on a U.S. tour faking these performances. Um, but then the other thread of the book that what I think has kind of elevated it from just a really kind of bizarre con story is that um, her story of just growing up poor in rural Appalachia and her experiences coming from that community and how it affected her ideas of ambition and about gender and about poverty and um, how all of that kind of plays into why she continued on with this job, even though it was clearly a terrible idea um, and and yeah, it's very difficult. So, um, it's just this very weird, readable, like exciting and fun book that I am, I am really excited to finish it. I really have liked it a lot. So that's town sounds like Titanic by Jessica Chicolito Hinman. That sounds so fun. <laughs> oh yeah. And then I have the next sponsor. That's why I'm just pausing. All right. So our second <laughs> sponsor for this week's uh, podcast is Book Riot Swords and Spaceships newsletter. And uh, so we're giving away a $100 gift card to Amazon in support of Swords and Spaceships, our weekly newsletter about all things sci-fi and fantasy. Uh, you can sign up for the newsletter at bookriot.com slash SFF giveaway, and then you'll be entered to win the $100 gift card. Uh, and you will hear about new sci-fi and fantasy releases, interest, interesting industry news, backlist recommendations, and more. So again, you can go to bookriot.com slash SFF giveaway to enter. 
All right, and so with that, we're going to hop into this week's second segment, um, which is a f- kind of continuation of uh, the, our theme from last podcast, which was Black History Month. Uh, except this week, we decided for this episode, we decided to focus more on um, contemporary Black voices and contemporary voices that could lend some. I don't know, give us more information or more context or experiences for Black History Month rather than history, which is what we focused on last time. So we have a bunch of contemporary writers talking about the Black experience that I think we've all kind of been interested in. So um, I'm going to change the order again, Alice. Sorry, and let you go first. No, I am totally prepared for that. Um, So my first pick for this segment is We Can't Breathe on Black Lives, White Lies, and the Art of Survival by Jabari Asim. Um, I believe this came out late last year, so it's a pretty new book. Mm -hmm. Um, In We Can't Breathe, Jabari Asim disrupts what Toni Morrison has exposed as the master narrative and replaces it with a story of Black survival and persistence through art and community in the face of centuries of racism. So um, as has kind of been like the trend lately with these types of books, you know, he breaks it up into like eight essays and explores topics like the twisted legacy of jokes and falsehoods in Black life, uh, the importance of Black fathers and community, the significance of Black writers and stories, and the beauty and pain of the Black body. This is actually the book that I said I was reading that wanted, that was saying we should change it from white supremacy to white insanity. Um, his writing is extremely good and uh, like markedly so. Obviously, you and I read a lot. Um, I was sitting at mm-hmm. breakfast in DC, like reading this book and just like, oh my gosh, like some of these sentences are just like delightfully composed um, at the same time. And he kind of varies, right? He's talking about like how they have this like culture of like joking and like talking about like you lie and stuff. And how that kind of relates to actual, you know, like the experience of living in this culture of white lies. Um mm-hmm. It's just an excellent book. Again, that is We Can't Breathe on Black Lives, White Lies, and the Art of Survival by Jabari Asim. Yeah, I'm really glad you talked about that. I've had that on a pile of like books I should read next for months and months, and I just haven't picked it up. Um, it's a really small book, too. Like it's, I don't know, my copy is almost like it looks like mass market paperback kind of size. Um, That's why I brought it just on like the really trip because it was so little. Uh, yeah. I was like, it's pocket size. Yeah. And yeah, but just like really smart and like like you said, really on a sentence level, like really excellent. So yeah, I'm glad you talked about that one. Um, so the first book I want to mention is one that I finished last week, and it's called "When They Call You a Terrorist: A Black Lives Matter Memoir" by Patrice Con Coolers and Asha Bendeley. Uh, and so this is a memoir by one of the founders of the Black Lives Matters movement. Um, so it's Patrice's memoir, and uh, Asha helped write it. Um, a ghost a ghost writing without ghostwriting. I don't know what you call that. I'm having kind of a brain fart moment right now. Um, but anyway, Patrice was born, was raised by a single mother in Los Angeles. Um, and she grew up in a poor neighborhood, kind of adjacent to a wealthier white neighborhood. And so the book is about a lot of things, but a thread that kind of runs through the whole thing is her, um, contacts with law enforcement and uh, how her early contacts with law enforcement and like ongoing contacts with law enforcement is uh, her relationship with them. And the black community's relationship with law enforcement has really affected her, um, life and perspective and activism. So she writes about kind of her, yeah, as a kid, her contact with law enforcement and how unequal, uh, the people in her, the police in her neighborhood were and their treatment of white and black kids. Um, because she, I can't remember exactly 
why, but she ends up going to a mostly white high school um, or middle school and high school. And so she sees a lot of differences in how the kids in her neighborhood versus the kids in her high school are treated by the cops. Um, when her older brother, who suffers from a serious mental illness, um, is arrested and sent to jail a couple of times. And so there's a lot in the memoir about why that happened, uh, what it was like when he was in jail, how he was treated there, which is terribly, um, and how little support he and their family had when he was released, um, and then goes on into her personal life and then into the Black Lives Matter movement and how they kind of galvanized that force and that uh uh, that movement uh, and after the um, after Ferguson, um, so it's it's a really personal memoir that's just really it feels um, I hate saying this but like the best thing I can think of is that it feels really urgent like there's just a a necessity in reading it and that you just feel like you need to hear this story. Um, and she the, that's the part that I liked the most is when she was really sharing her personal story. Um, there are parts where they the memoir sort of steps back and tries to like put in some statistics and context to some of this. And I just, I didn't find that quite as effective as just like hearing this person's story and how, how shocking parts of it are. Um, and then, um, yeah, it gets into the Black Lives Matter movement kind of near the end. Um, and I wish that there had been more about that, but I also think like there maybe wasn't more to say at the time that the book came out. And so um, I think there's definitely more to that story that I hope we'll get to hear in future books or future work. So um, I just thought it was really great. I, um, enjoy is not exactly the word, but I just thought it was so interesting and compelling and honest and, um, yeah, just, just really, really good. So, uh, that's when they call you a terrorist, a black lives matter, memoir, black, black lives matter memoir by Patrice Conkoolers and Asha Bandeley. Um, while you were talking about that, you reminded me of, I told you right before the podcast, I was watching today this um, documentary on the uh, serial killer, the Grim Sleeper, who killed, you know, like maybe over 100 black women in Los Angeles. And one of the women uh, that they interviewed on it, she was talking about how she told her son that if you have a problem, here is a list of numbers you call. Do not call 911 because, you know, mm-hmm. there you will either get shot on your doorstep or you will be like basically like leaving yourself open to a host of whole other like harassments and problems. So and that was such a um like a horrifying statement in terms of like the state of where we currently like still are as a nation. Um yeah, sorry. That was just, that just reminded me of that and I was just uh I think mm-hmm. that we have talked about of course a lot um since the 2016 election about how uh, a lot of white Americans are kind of being like, Oh, I can't believe our country is, you know, either suddenly like this or whatever. And it's, it's always been like this, Um, which uh, at the very least is, is a a thing that is good to um, acknowledge publicly and, and to have that kind of be a, um, a state of awareness, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. Changing gears, my next uh, pick is The Cooking Gene, A Journey Through African-American Culinary History in the Old South by Michael W. Twitty. So Michael W. Twitty is a culinary historian. Um, and so he writes this memoir of Southern cuisine and food culture that traces his ancestry, which is both black and white, um, through food. So from Africa to America and slavery to freedom, he, um, combines this with sort of, you know, like obviously talking about race and, um, how, uh, sort of like how food can, you know, bring us together, but he's discussing how 
Southern food is integral to the American culinary tradition, right? Like, obviously, we all, well, most of us love Southern food. I don't know anyone who doesn't, but just as like, in case there is someone. Um, but the, quest- <laughs> the question of who owns Southern food is um, a sort of a, a provocative touch point is how the publisher states it in our ongoing struggles over race. So he traces the roots of his own family and the charged politics surrounding the origins of soul food, barbecue, and all Southern cuisine, right? He talks in the beginning about how um, the way that, you know, whether you like add sugar to some food or like the way that you like cook barbecue, like this, these are like sort of like entry points, like shibboleths for the culture, uh, which I thought was fascinating because I don't know any of the answers to those um, because I do not cook but um <laughs> so it's basically going from uh the tobacco and rice farms of colonial times to plantation kitchens and cotton fields and twitty tells his family story through these foods that enabled his ancestors survival across three centuries um which also i think is amazing i i know like 150 years going back from my family but before that nothing um he sifts through stories recipes genetic tests and historical documents and uh travels from civil war battlefields in virginia to synagogues in alabama to black owned organic farms in georgia i have heard nothing but praise for this book um it is mm-hmm. one of the only cookbooks because he also write like talks about all this um that I've been interested in. And uh, it's just, it's, I don't know, read it. So again, it's, I feel like a lot of this podcast <laughs> just boils down to, just read it. Um, so it's The Cooking Gene, A Journey Through African-American Culinary History in the Old South by Michael W. Twitty. Yeah, I haven't read that one, but I think literally every person who's ever mentioned it to me has been like, this book is amazing. You should read it. So yeah, all the people. Yes, definitely. Uh, I'm glad you brought that one up. So um, my next pick is another collection of essays. Apparently that's like a theme for me this week. Um, And it is called The Fire This Time, A New Generation Speaks About Race, which is edited by Jasmine Ward. Uh, And this is a 2016 collection of essays, uh, a collection of essays and poems about race and can uh, race and kind of the past, present and future of race in the United States by a range of contemporary black writers. Um, and so Jasmine Ward conceived of the collection as kind of a response to James Baldwin's 1963 essay collection, The Fire Next Time, um, and tries to kind of look at where things have gone since then. So the essays in this book are arranged to look at the past, the present and the future of race. Um, and I, I just thought it was fascinating. Like there's a ton of very different approaches in the book. Like none of the essays have the same style. Like some of them are very spare. Some of them are really, um, the writing is really in depth. Some of them are funny. Um, some of them are, are very sad. Um, and they just kind of come at this uh, this question from so many different angles. Um, and I have also kind of loved that a bunch of the essays seem like they are either parts of books or leading to books that I have also either read or been interested in. So um, Carol Anderson, who is the author of White Rage, has an essay in the book. Um, Kevin Young, who wrote a book called Bunk that came out last year from Grey Wolf Press, has an essay in the book all about... Um, what was her name? Rachel Dolezal, the lady oh, who yeah. was white, but was pretending to be black. And um, so he has a whole essay about like what that kind of kind of person, what that was all about. This was really interesting. Um, Casey Lehman has an essay that I think is connected to his memoir, Heavy. Um, I haven't gotten to that one yet. Um, Isabel Wilkerson, who wrote The Warmth of Other Sons, has an essay in here that's really short, but kind of gets at that migration. Um, Claudia Rankine, who wrote Citizen, has one. So there's just a lot of really like 
big shot writers in this book, and they're all doing something different and interesting. So um, I have been very much enjoying this one. Um, it's really good. So that is The Fire This Time, A New Generation Speaks About Race, edited by Jasmine Ward. Um, I... I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I just blanked for a second. I read The Men We Reaped by Jasmine Ward, and she mm-hmm. is so insanely good as a writer. Um, I'm not surprised yeah. that for a book edited by her, she was able to get all of these amazing writers. Because, you know, it's like Jasmine Ward would like <laughs> And it's like, great. Yes, I'll do it. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah, that is... Yeah, that sounds great. Um, So my last pick for this week is Well-Read Black Girl, Finding Our Stories, Discovering Ourselves by Glory Edom. Glory Edom runs the extremely popular, um, I think it's a book club, right? Not like just a straight-up book blog. Um, I think so, yeah. Yeah, called, uh, oh, it says right here, it is a book club. Um, She runs the extremely popular book club, uh, Well-Read Black Girl, hence the title of her book. So what this is, is she got this, it's another collection of essays. Essays are so hot right now. Um, But she got this collection (laughs) of essays by Black women writers um, and sort of like, so she curated them and sort of has it separated into these different sections. I'm pulling up my copy right now just to look at it. So... There's well-read Black girl selections from 2015 to 2018, and then uh, classic novels by Black women and books on Black feminism, books about Black girlhood, like sci-fi fantasy books by Black women. Like, it's such a good collection. And it's these writers writing about the books where they sort of first saw themselves or their favorite books where they first saw them. You know know what I mean? Like, it's just um, Mm -hmm. she gets Jasmine Ward. Again, uh, Jacqueline Woodson, Morgan Jerkins, Tayari Jones, among many others, um, sort of, and they all talk about like on the importance of recognizing ourselves in literature. It's a really, um, again, kind of compact but um, beautifully designed book, and it's really you know you because it's a collection of essays and they're all by different authors you can kind of like dive in and read like a couple at a time and then um it's made me definitely lengthen my tbr list because i keep being like oh i haven't read that one yet and just like add that on so yeah um, yeah it's great uh so well-read black girl finding our stories discovering ourselves by glory edim that sounds yeah i every time i read a collection of essays that's like about books I always like feel bad about how few books I've read even like I've read a lot of books uh and I my TBR just like grows massively um yeah that sounds super good um so my final book is one that I have had on my shelves for a bunch of years now and I just finally kind of got the like oomph to really pick it up and start it after I finished um American Prison by Shane Bauer, because uh, which is a book about um, the for-profit prison system. But it felt like there was just like so much more about our sort of mass incarceration and prison system in the United States that I didn't know about. And I had this book sitting on my shelf. So I was like, I'm going to pick this one up, but I'm going to read it finally. Um, the book is The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration in the Age of Colorblindness by Michelle Alexander. Uh, and this is a book that came out in 2012. Uh, and it is a, in the book, uh, Michelle Alexander makes an argument that we have not ended the system of uh, racial caste. Is it cased or cast? Cast. Cased, I think. No. Racial cast. cased in America. Cast. Thank you. 
um, that we have redesigned it. And so her argument is that the uh, culture of mass incarceration uh, by targeting black men through the war on drugs uh, has damaged communities of color and has therefore resulted in the criminal justice system functioning as a system that basically uh, a two-tiered system in which you have people who are, are part of it and people who are not, and that is stigmatizing people into uh, inferior positions by law and custom. So um, her argument is that mass incarceration is a system like Jim Crow and like slavery and that it forces people into um, a second-class citizenship. But obviously she talks later in the book about how there's some really big differences too, but that's kind of the general argument. Um, and so people who become part of the criminal justice system through this mass incarceration issue uh, have sort of permanent second-class status of legalized discrimination and permanent social exclusion. Um, and so this book is definitely more academic than I normally read, which is not to say that it is an academic book, just I tend to lean away from academic nonfiction just as a general that's what I read. Um, so it's definitely more academic than I usually read. So I've been having to read it slowly, kind of one chapter at a time. Um, slowly. Have you read every book one chapter at a time, I guess. But uh, <laughs> I've been reading it uh, kind of in bits and pieces because it's uh, there's a lot in it. Um, but I have like, you know, uh, marked up stuff in the margins and underlined passages because it's just so so smart and so interesting. And uh, I think because it's from 2012, like some of her, at the time, this argument was really radical. Um, but a lot, I think some of it has sort of seeped into our culture and it's part of the conversation we're having about mass incarceration. But it is certainly like there's a lot more to the book than I have really kind of dug into or understood before. So um, I think that it is really, um, it's helping me think about some things in a new way. And it's definitely giving me some more um, language and, and ways to talk about this issue, uh, despite what my life fumbling around to try and explain this book might indicate to listeners of the podcast. Um, but I've been finding it really interesting. I think it's a good follow-up to the uh, other book about kind of the for-profit prison system, because it's certainly a big part of that and part of what we're talking about. So um, the book is The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration in the Age of Colorblindness by Michelle Alexander. Um, did you see the Ava DuVernay documentary 13? I Yes. So good. Yeah. Um, that was immediately when you were saying how this is kind of seeped more into popular culture. That's what I thought of. Um, that documentary is insanely good. Um, and talking about it makes me want to watch it again. Uh, cause I think, you know, you, with repeat viewings, you kind of like more of those like statistics and all this kind of things sort of seep in more. Uh, but yeah, that was so well done. Um, okay. I think that's it for, what was the name of it again? I can't remember. Is it is it thirteen or thirteenth? I don't remember. Oh, I think it's just called it's just called thirteenth. Thirteenth. Um, I thought because okay. well, maybe it's thirteenth, but yeah, just about because it's about the thirteenth amendment. So I think that how. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, it's a really good one. Awesome. And so uh, there's obviously like way more contemporary black writers we could talk about. Like we could do an entire year of podcasts. Um, so this is just like a few that we have found interesting. And I, I know that we'll be reading more, I, I guess I'm sure. So uh, with that, we will uh, close out the podcast as we normally do with the books that we are reading uh, right now at this very moment. So um, Alice, I'm going to let you go first again. I am reading First Generations Women in Colonial America by Carol Birkin, uh, esteemed early American women's 
Dorian. Uh, it is really, really awesome, actually. I think it's from, uh, I'm either, actually, you know what? I'm not going to guess because I was about to guess a range of 15 years. Um, but <laughs> it's really good. She covers, um, she kind of starts with like a single person and then expands that chapter out into sort of like their broader demographic. So she talks about um, American Indian, which she talks about Wetamo. I think it's pronounced Wetamo, W-E-T-A-M-O, who um, kind of was with the early tribes that were helping the pilgrims or Puritans, I think it was the Puritans, um, but who eventually like declared war on them because, you know, the Puritans were assholes. And then, um, but it also talks about sort of like how these certain stereotypes about um, American Indian culture and certain tribes came about, one of which, which I thought was the most fascinating, was that um, traders would only come in to the settlements in like, or the um, camps in uh, the summer, because that's when the men were around. And so the men were mostly like playing games and the women were working. And so they were like, oh, so like the men are just like lazy and using the women and like the women. (laughs) And it turns out it's like, no, during the summer, the men would guard the tribe and then in the winter and fall they would go hunting and so like they would play games in order to stay in shape while they were like with their tribe so it was just this insane right it was a super biased like horrible thing you're just like oh i see how that like came about they only came during this one time of year and um it talks about the difference of like women's roles in different cultures and how the Iroquois had a much sort of more um, not totally matriarchal, but more like matriarchy leaning system. Um, and uh, it also talks about like the Dutch women who were there and like, you know, like uh, I think it was the Chesapeake Bay area. And then of course, like, you know, like the black, uh, black woman's experience. I forget if she, I'm about to start that chapter. So I don't, I'm assuming she's going to talk about enslaved people as opposed to like the free black experience. Maybe she'll talk about both, but um, it's really good. And like, 200 pages long um but she goes into like a significant amount of detail so again (laughs) that is first generations women in colonial america by carol birkin excellent great pick that's very alice that sounds that just sounds right in your wheelhouse um so the book that i am reading also probably is right at my wheelhouse uh, given all the things i like to read and it's called atomic habits an easy and proven way to build good habits and break bad ones by james clear Uh, and this is a book about how the way to build habits and break bad habits is to make very tiny incremental changes and how those tiny incremental changes um, compound on each other over time to sort of take you from whatever you are to slowly building to all of a sudden like having a jump and exponentially improving in some particular way. Um, So he argues that the issue is to change systems so that you can build good habits and stop having bad habits. Um, So the one thing I will say about it um, is that the, well, I'll say a few things, but the first thing I want to say is that um, the book opens with a story about an injury that the author experienced as a high school student. He was uh, playing baseball and a a student went to hit and threw a bat and it hit him in the head. Um, And it is a very serious injury. And he describes it in like, very specific details. Um, and I found it like, difficult to read. Um, if you, so if you are a person who gets queasy at reading about people's injuries, um, I would skip ahead the first several pages to kind of the end of the introduction to kind of go past that. Because, um, the reason he tells the story is that, um, 
after he kind of recovered from this serious injury, um, and he eventually went on to become a college athlete, a baseball player. But he says that he did that through uh, building small habits over time. And so that kind of his life experience and building habits and, and coming back from this injury is what um, helped him do that. But if you are queasy about reading injuries, like do not read the very first few pages of this book because I found them. <laughs> I'm not usually queasy about that. And I was like, oh. um, so that was a little difficult, but it is a really good book. Um, and I have found the first several chapters really interesting interesting and I'm kind of excited to keep going with it. So uh, the book is called Atomic Habits by James Clear. Uh, and so with that, we are at the end of uh, this week's episode. Yeah. Uh, if you want to ask us questions, comments, make recommendations for awesome nonfiction, you can find us on social media. On Twitter, I am at It's Alice Time and Kim is at Kim the Dork. And if you feel so inclined, uh, you can uh, rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Uh, ratings and reviews help people f uh, find the podcast more easily. And while you're there, you can subscribe so that you can get uh, new episodes the very minute that they come out. And so with that, I am Kim Ugara. And I'm Alice Burton. And we thank you for listening to this week's episode of the For Real Podcast.